If you take your Bibles now and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we want to continue on what it means to live a spirit-filled life. But before we actually, I want you to turn to it, before we actually look at it, I've been reminded this morning, and I think the Lord is gracious in this, and this happens in my own heart. I'm reminded this morning that all of us come to a service with unique things going on in our lives. And we walk past one another, and we don't know what those issues are, right? Uh, And sometimes the Lord's gracious in my own life to remind me, hey, Doug, People come to a worship service and need, we always have a a need to hear from the Lord, but to hear from the Lord in a unique way, to experience the Lord in a unique way. And so uh, I'm normal like you. So sometimes I come and I stand up here and I kind of always look the same, but sometimes stuff's kind of right in my world, if you know what I mean. And sometimes stuff is like hard in my world. And so uh, yesterday, my mom got admitted to a COVID pneumonia unit up in Pennsylvania. And so I, I went, I could fake it or I could just tell you. Because it reminds me, you all come with stuff like that as well. And you all look normal. And I know that, that you're like, okay, okay we're going to talk spirit-filled employee. Where's the Lord in that? The Lord meets us in our time of need. So I don't feel well physically. I'm a little uh, with what's happening with mom. And so it reminds me, your world might be working really well right now. Or your world may feel a little frayed around the edges. But we need to, we all want to experience the Lord this morning. We only just want to check a box, correct? Do you want to experience the Lord this morning? I, I think you do. And some of you have that greater sense that, of that, so uh, maybe I should do this more regular. But I just want us to pause and and we always pray for the text. But don't bow with me, and I want to give you just a quiet moment. You know, we declared in song, in everything, and with everything, and for everything. Thank you, Jesus. But maybe you never got. Maybe you got through that song, but. Uh, Never connected that to the frayed edges of what's going on in your world. So would you ask the Lord to meet you this morning? To meet you in his word? To meet you by his Holy Spirit? To speak to your heart in a a way that encourages or strengthens or guides Or maybe you're like, wow, <laughs> it's been smooth waters and green pastures right now in my life. Thank the Lord for that. He may be preparing you for something coming. Lord, I just want to acknowledge that we don't do this out of ritual. Uh, We study your word because 
Your word speaks to us. It speaks to the real speaks to the real issues of our life. It informs us and protects us. And your spirit is in your people. And so I pray that in some way, whether it's already been through the music, whether it'll be a reflection upon the music, whether it be through your word now, Lord, that really each would be able to walk away and say, thank you, Lord, for meeting me and speaking to my heart. Thank you for reminding me that you are real and active and working. And thank you that you are enough, as we declared, that you're enough for us in everything. So we love you because we acknowledge you first loved us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're looking at a spirit-filled life, a life where it's more than the fact that God has promised that if we admit our sin, believe in Jesus, and receive the free gift of eternal life, that he will pour his spirit into us, that we who were far from God and empty of God would become people where God would dwell within us by his spirit. That's the promise of God. The command of God is that we would live a spirit-filled life, a life where his life overflows from our life. He's peace and his peace overflows. He is joy and his joy overflows. He is wisdom and his wisdom overflows. A spirit-filled life is a life where God himself flows through you. And it flows through you to, if you're married, to your spouse, and if God has given you family, that it flows through you and to your family. That you, your home is really a place where the presence of God is experienced. But it's not just marriage and home. It, we're, we're to live spirit-filled lives when we go to work. So that not only our family, but our co-workers experience God through us. That's the spirit-filled life. And the scripture that tells us how that's going to happen is in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 5. We looked at this last week, slaves, and we defined what we meant by slavery, not as slavery as we think of it in colonial times, but servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So, whatever you do, Whatever you do in your life for work, he's simply saying, do it as unto the Lord and do it to please him and then he will flow through your life. And I love how I get to experience men and women in this body hearing the word and applying the word. So I had a conversation this week with a guy who said, Man, I knew I was going to have a conversation, a hard conversation with a boss. And I 
heard what you read, what you taught from Ephesians 6, and so I wrote it out, and I kept it in front of me for this conversation. And I wrote three words on that card in front of me that would reflect what would Christ, how would Christ be honored in this conversation? Support, respect, and kindness. That's taking the word of God and applying it. Did it make the conversation easier? Not necessarily. Did it change the conversation? It changed it in this sense. Even in a hard conversation with a potentially unreasonable boss, what happened? God was honored. The life of God, when a man placed himself under the word of God, the life of God God got revealed in his life. That's a spirit-filled life. And the scripture says, now... As workers, here's how my life flows through you. Let's turn the tables now. And as bosses, as employees, employers, if you have some, some sense of authority, I mean, you may not own the company. You may not be the president. But you may have a portion of leading a team. Or you even may be, uh, well, uh, I, I coach some place where you have responsibility for leading others. Here's how the life of God flows through you in that. Verse 9. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And then the parallel text is when Paul speaks to the church in Colossae, he says to them, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, which again, if you did that, it wouldn't be slavery as we have thought of slavery. Grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So his bottom line, whatever sense of authority that you may have in your life, he says this. This is the core truth. Even those in authority lead under God's authority. Human bosses have a heavenly boss. That's the core thought. So if you have authority in some way in your workplace, do you live out that authority with a sense of, I must give an account. And this is a great picture for all of us. We will stand before the Lord and give an account for the life that we've lived. It's our good works will not determine whether we enter heaven or not. That will be determined by what Jesus has done for us and whether we have believed in him. But if we have believed in Jesus and we have been made right with God, then our lives are to be lived so that his life flows through us and, and we'll give an account. And so human bosses, whatever level of authority God has given you, you will stand before the Lord and give your performance review, if you will. The year end, some of you are doing performance reviews. You're giving people feedback. How are they doing in their job? 
And this is a, a time for everyone who has any sense of authority to go, am I exercising that God-given authority in a manner that's pleasing to my heavenly boss? I have an accountability with him. He is my authority. So what does that look like for a spirit-filled boss to function? Well, it says, and masters do the same things to them. In other words, he is saying, everything that I said that good God-honoring workers do, that's what God-honoring bosses do. In other words, spirit-filled authority leads by example. There's not a list of, hey, here's what God-honoring workers do, and then a different list, here's what God-honoring bosses do. God-honoring bosses do what God-honoring workers do. And you understand why? Because they are a worker under a heavenly boss. And so, what's that look like practically? Well, let me, let me demonstrate first for you. Jesus said, I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. See, Jesus was not just an instruction giver. He said, I'm going to live the way I want you to live. I'm going to set the example. Peter says this to elders. Shepherd the flock of God among you. In other words, exercising oversight. Elders in a church have been given authority under the chief shepherd, shepherd to be under shepherds. How should they exercise that? Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So everything that we would want the Christian family chapel to be, to be the body of Christ, we have to first ask ourselves, are we doing that? Is the Lord first in our lives? Are we being good stewards of the resources that he's given to us? Do we have a heart for lost people? As he does. He, Jesus, set an example for us to follow. And as shepherds, elders in a flock, it's our responsibility to say, we will set the example for you to follow. And then Paul says to young pastor Timothy, let no one look down on you for your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example. So whatever, whatever level of authority you may have in your life, understand this. First and foremost, be the person you want the people you're leading to be. Set the example. So if you have your message memo, you'll see 12 attributes of a God-honoring boss or a God-honoring employer. If you were here last week, what do you notice? It's the same list. You may think, wow, you had a full week, couldn't come up with any new ideas, so you just <laughs> repeated last week's? <laughs> no. The point is, I wanted to make the point. 
There's not a different list. If a God-honoring worker does these 12 things and the core biblical principle of exercise and authority is be an example, then the same list applies to you in whatever level of authority you have. The only thing I'll add is sometimes leadership brings some extra, extra sauce with it. So the same core is there, but there's some extra sauce, if you will, that, of how you do these things. So I'm not going to take a long time. I'm just going to try and run through these pretty quickly with the hope that whatever place you have some authority in your life, you're going, am I leading in this way? So uh, as we talked about last week, a God-honoring worker works hard. Ah, oh, forget that. We'll move on. You work hard. A leader works hard to help others succeed. That's the special, special sauce in leadership. It's not like, man, I can't wait till I become the boss so that I can make other people work hard. <laughs> Sometimes that's what's thought. I get to be the foreman so I can lean on the shovel. Like everybody else, dig. No. You work hard, and you work hard actually very specifically with this in mind. How do I make those that I lead succeed? Good workers treat people with kindness and grace. God-honoring leaders understand people are your most valuable asset. So you treat people well. God-honoring workers tell the truth. God-honoring leaders tell the truth to the right people. A responsibility reality of leadership is you will often know more things than other people. And you have to learn. Just because I know it doesn't mean everybody should know it. Who should know it? When should they know it? And how should they know it? Four, God-honoring workers do what's right and admit when they're wrong. God-honoring leaders understand admitting wrong is weakness. No, God-honoring leaders acknowledge that admitting wrong is not weak. Not admitting wrong is weak. If you think, wow, if I cannot, if my leading, I can't admit wrong, That's not flowing from strength. That's flowing from weakness. There's a, there's a place for every leader not to intentionally do wrong. I don't need to encourage you to intentionally do wrong. You'll do wrong. It's the God-honoring leader who humbly says, I was wrong. My attitude was wrong. My expectations were wrong. The way I responded to you was wrong. Leaders apologize. Authority does not put us out of the realm of admitting wrong. Because everybody does wrong. And I just want to repeat from last week. Doing wrong is a reality. Admitting that we're wrong is the humility, it is the entree to the gospel. That everybody needs forgiveness. You're dependable. God-honoring workers are dependable. God-honoring leaders are dependable with the recognition 
But leadership in Romans 12 is identified as a spiritual gift. And it said this, that leaders lead with diligence. Sometimes our culture, again, will suggest that somehow, once there's a a level of authority, then diligence can slack off. Actually, the scripture would say to you, if you have authority, you need to be all the more determined to be diligent, dependable, bringing energetic application and effort to the God-given leadership. Number six, God-honoring workers avoid drama. God-honoring leaders, your own especially, moody bosses are the worst. Maybe you've never had a moody boss. I remember an individual saying to me, Oh, one of the worst things is every day when I go to work, I have to try to take the temperature to see how are they doing to determine then how I'm going to interact with them. That's not stewarding the leadership the Lord has given. God-honoring workers, you're a learner and teachable in order to be better. If you have been given authority, leadership is not only a gift, leadership is learned. It's rightly said that leaders need to be readers. Do you have any authority? Again, some place of where you are responsible for some other folks. How you lead them can make a world of difference. And learning leadership, learning to do that well in a God-honoring way, make all the difference in their world. Part of you stewarding that role is learning and growing in it. Number eight, you go the extra mile with joy. That's the God-honoring worker. The God-honoring leader recognizes my attitude really does matter. Your attitude. This was a good leadership lesson for me as a parent. Because <laughs> parents, that's, that's a God-given authority, right? <laughs> Ask yourself if that's been one of the roles God has given you. Do you expect a, bad, a better attitude from your kids than they get from you? Because it's easy to give attitude speeches to kids, <laughs> right? With a bad attitude. So apply that to a broader setting. That is, if, if you're a boss in any way, your attitude matters. Generally, pace of the leader, pace of the team. You take initiative. And specifically, again, what's the, the leader sauce on that? You take initiative specifically by looking ahead. Always kind of cracks me up 
people come up with really exotic definitions of leader, it's not that complicated. It's very clear. Go on a walk, and who's the leader? <laughs> the person in the front. Leaders go first. And part of the responsibility of the leader is to look ahead. See, the, the privilege of following is I don't need to look ahead. I just need to follow. The leader has to look ahead. So it, if you've been given some authority for a business, for a team, or for a family, parents look ahead for their kids. Bosses look ahead for their employees. A great study of the Gospel of Luke will reveal, will reveal in Luke 9.51, it says, Jesus set his sight on Jerusalem, and the rest of the Gospel follows that expression. And with his eyes toward Jerusalem, in other words, Jesus did everything that he did and Luke builds his gospel around it, understanding I'm looking ahead to the cross. I'm looking ahead to the time where I am going to die. I'm going to live looking ahead. If you have a God-given authority, it's your responsibility to be looking ahead. Uh, God-honoring workers, number 10, are positive and problem solvers. Sometimes we think, therefore, when you are the God-given authority, it's your responsibility to figure out all the solutions. But actually, learn to listen. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. The boss doesn't have to be the smartest person in the room. He has to be smart enough to listen well. Don't be threatened by smarter people. Make the most of smarter people. So learn to listen. There's humility in learning to listen. You admit your mistakes as a God-honoring worker, and like we said in number four, you admit your mistakes as a God-honoring leader. Sometimes you make a mistake. You thought it was going to be a good call. You thought it was going to be a good play. You thought it was going to be a good idea. And so you looked ahead and you picked an idea and it flopped. Just admit, it was a bad idea. Don't try to blame. It's so refreshing. I was <laughs> so grateful for my wife. Uh, I told you she's serving tables at um, Belgium Sweet House a couple mornings a week. And so she came home Monday, I think it was, maybe Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. And she said, uh, I went to the kitchen to get a plate of food, and I grabbed it, and I grabbed it quickly, and so quickly that the food left the plate, and I had an empty plate. <laughs> she grabbed it, no food. She's like, oh, no. And the cook is like, ah. So she walks out to the table and says, hey, I'm sorry. We're really backed up. Our cook's a little slow, but we'll get to you sooner. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. 
What she said was, hey, I tried to grab your food, and I dumped it on the floor, so sorry. Can I get you a cup of coffee? It's going to, they got to recook it. Maybe you don't appreciate that sort of honesty. I love that sort of honesty. Because it's just recognize. Who in here has ever dropped a plate of food? There we go. But somehow it's like, who made the food so slippery? <laughs> somehow when we drop something or mess up something, we feel like we have to figure out who else is to blame. It's just refreshing when somebody will go, oh, that person was me. And I'm sorry, it's going to inconvenience you. That, workers, and, workers and leaders go, I made a mistake. And I know it's going to impact us negatively. And I'm sorry. That sort of humility, home run stuff. Twelve, you honor your authority as a God-honoring worker and as a God-honoring leader. You honor your authority. Those who live without authority will wreck the train. You understand what I mean by wreck the train? Whatever you're driving. You want to wreck it. The person who wants to be the boss so they can be the boss is going to wreck the train. Because why do they want to be the boss? So I don't have anybody else to answer to. So I can get to make the call. And what's the core truth? Every boss has a boss. Here's what I mean very practically. If you run a company and you think I'm the top of the org chart and therefore I don't have anybody to be accountable to, you're going to wreck that train. You have an accountability to the Lord. If a pastor thinks I don't have anybody to be accountable to, they're going to wreck the church. There's evidences all over our country of churches who get wrecked because a guy thinks I have no authority. There's the, uh, there's a lot of things I'm grateful for at this church. The thing I'm most grateful for is it's very clear. I serve under 10 guys who serve under the Lord. It is not just verbal speak at CFC that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus is our head, and under Jesus as our head are 10 men who serve as under shepherds to the chief shepherd, and our staff serve under them. And if that ever gets flipped, we'll wreck the train called Christian Family Chapel. So whatever your authority, live with the reality, core, you have an authority. Because when you get away from there, and when you go, I don't want to answer to anybody else, you are in deep, deep trouble. The husband who thinks I'm the authority in the home, and he doesn't have to answer to the Lord, is going to wreck the home. Anybody who lives out from under authority wrecks the train sooner or later. So we honor authority. Wherever we fit in the org chart, we honor authority as a gift to us.
So, set the example. Maybe in some way the Lord put something specifically from that list. You go, okay, thanks, Lord. You spoke to me. I'm going to lead in a way that honors you more fully. Set the example. Second, it says, do the same things to them. Set the example and give up threatening. Spirit-filled authority does not engage in intimidation tactics. It's old school leadership. Lead by intimidation. We have a better sense sometimes now that that just doesn't work. But it's almost always tempting if you have authority to even the word boss. I'm the boss. When you have to play the boss card, you want to play that as little as possible. And never with intimidation. Never with threats. Jesus I was meditating on this passage, here was my thought. Jesus launched the greatest movement the world has ever known, and he did it as a leader who described himself as gentle and humble in heart. That's classic right there. He said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. The one who was gentle and humble in heart launched the greatest movement the world has ever seen. And masters, back to our verse, Do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And if my master, there's no partiality with him, then that's what's that mean about my leadership or your leadership? No partiality. Spirit-filled authority does not engage in plain favorites. As soon as there's a sense of favoritism, As soon as there's favoritism, that's what happens. The life of God stops flowing through you. Because everybody understands favoritism is just a way to utilize your opportunity to benefit you. And now, it's no longer about the good of others. It's about using authority to benefit self. That's what favoritism does. How can I use to benefit me? Grant to your slaves justice and fairness. I think, I think this is a bigger deal than maybe we want to recognize. Justice and fairness, no partiality. That's a big deal in the mind of God in how we exercise authority. Justice and fairness, no partiality, no playing favorites. So, whatever authority, are you setting the example? Have you given up intimidation tactics? And is there justice and fairness? Revealed in how you lead. 
That's spirit-filled authority. And I can say I'm grateful as a teaching pastor here at CFC, I have 10 men who seek to, nine men who seek to live as spirit-filled authority. I look at my brother Frost here. He's been an elder at this church for a long time. I'm blessed. 30, 31 years now on staff to live under spirit-filled authority. Now, no offense, but are those nine men always spirit-filled every moment of every day? Excuse me, I couldn't quite hear you, Frost. Okay, he said, he said no. <laughs> no, the reality is this. Some of you have been blessed with spirit-filled bosses. Lots of you have not. But the, this will be true for every single one of us. Every single one of us will have to learn to live in moments under authority that is not spirit-filled. And so what do you do with that? That is very much the world of some of you who are listening right now. It's like, man, my authority is so far from spirit-filled. I'd look to that list and think, if I could have a boss like that, even 70% of the time, that would be like so good. So whatever the percentage is, what do you do with a boss who's not spirit-filled? How do you live under that? Two thoughts for you. Living under spirit-filled authority not, that's not spirit-filled, ungodly authority provides opportunity to learn from a bad example. I know that might sound weird to you. But some of the most powerful examples in our lives to learn from are bad examples. Some of the best teaching moments for my kids was other kids going berserko. And it was just a good moment to have a huddle and go, y'all see what happened there? That's not going to happen with y'all. Don't you ever do that. Don't you ever speak that way. Don't you ever reply that way. It was just bad examples are sometimes Really powerful examples. Jesus said, calling them, he calls it, he has a little huddle with his disciples and he says, Hey, you know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. This is a classic moment of Jesus saying, You see how it's happening there? That's not, that's not the way we're going to do it. We're not going to use intimidations or threats or play favorites. We're not going to act like we're in a position to tell other people what to do. We're going to set the example. We're going to be servants in our leadership. God may have given you an ungodly authority for the express purpose of learning. When you have authority, don't do it like that. Because it's easy to be critical of ungodly authority, but then repeat it. I really appreciated last week Q&A. I've struggled with my boss. They are so abrasive, and I've responded similarly. So that's what happens. We end up repeating how we have been treated. And you may think, I'll never do that. 
but actually you may, unless you determine to say, I'm learning from the bad example here. Without being critical of your parents, you may have gone, I learned some from some bad examples. And thank the Lord for that. We don't have to repeat it. We can learn from it. When I lived off of Greenland Road, every time in the spring, and I think they still do this, spring, get close to prom, you know what they do at Mandarin High School? You know, they put a totally demolished car right in the front where every student drives in and parks each day. What are they telling them? Prom's coming. And if you are the foolish in how you drink and drive, this is what's going to happen to you. They simply put a bad example that they have to drive by every day. There's bad examples all around us. Let's learn from them. But it's more than that. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, from Ephesians 6. We've taken apart verse 9 pretty carefully. Turn to 1 Peter 2, and let's take a few last minutes and look at the example of Jesus in living under authority that was not spirit-filled, that was ungodly. Second Peter, excuse me, First Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, I'm going to read verses 18 through 23. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. That's why the gentleman wrote, respect on his card. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for, your sa- for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. See, even in this, Jesus says, let me be your example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Just pause for a moment. Can you look up here? Just for a moment, please. The example he said is this. You and I, when we live under ungodly authority, think their sin gives us an excuse to sin. And Jesus said, now I'm going to send an example where their sin will not cause me to sin. Nor any deceit found in his mouth. Sometimes, because other people lie, we give ourselves calls to lie. Man, they're telling lies against Jesus. And Jesus said, it was not calls for me to sin. Their lies were not calls for me to tell lies. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. See, straight out of Ephesians 6, 9, give up threatening. 
but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So church, I recognize all of us at times live under ungodly authority. Whether at a personal level, a company level, or at a country level. What I'm wondering is what's coming out of you? Ungodly authority in our current day is often bringing out of believers, not a a trusting of God, but an anger, an abrasiveness, uh, matching ugliness for ugliness. And we're not following the example of Jesus. We're becoming like them instead of becoming like Jesus. Ungodly authority is hard. Let's not become bitter and abrasive and like it. Let's not match ugliness with ugliness. Let's not match sin with sin and justify it. Let's instead say, Lord, you set the example. You will judge righteously. I can trust you. There's no good cause for ungodliness just because of ungodliness. I know that's your world. I know that's our world, all of our world to a bit of a degree. Let's be like Jesus, not like the world. So bow with me. And I want you to think about how you personally are responding to ungodly authority. What's it bringing out of you? And if you see things coming out of you, Aggressiveness, bitterness, threats. Confess that to the Lord. And acknowledge right now, Lord, in the heart, I'm going to trust you. You're the judge. You'll judge righteously. Jesus didn't revile on the cross. I can trust you as he trusted you. We want to we want to be like Jesus. We want to honor him in the hard believing he's a good shepherd that we can trust. It's a continuation of our prayer. Uh, let's declare this along with Matt. Even when I'm falling apart, piece by piece now, even in the grieving dark, hope gets me through, I know 
today as we go and then tomorrow when we when we go to work that we're going to praise him no matter what is happening and we're going to honor him with the way that we react and the way that we are because it honors our king it honors our lord so i hope we do that be blessed know that you are empowered to do that and just another quick reminder make sure you grab those christmas eve tickets they're just out in the courtyard um we ask you to just to grab the however many seats you think you're going to use. And if you end up not using one, just bring it back so someone else can have that seat. But it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a powerful time. I hope you'll carve out some time to do it. Have a blessed day. See you next time.